There are no borders with Bitcoin, and from the beginning, its disruption has been global. Tune in to Borderless as Coindesk reporters Anna Badikova and Danny Nelson dissect their top most recent Bitcoin and cryptocurrency stories from around the world. This episode is brought to you by the Coindesk Podcast Network. And just a reminder that Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Welcome to Borderless. I'm Anna Baidakova from Moscow, Russia. And I'm Danny Nelson in New York in the United States. On today's show, we're going to focus on the country that you might not be following closely, but you really should. India is a large and lively crypto market, and it's about to pass its first crypto-related legislation soon. So today we are talking to Nishal Shetty, the CEO of India's largest crypto exchange, Wazirax. So thank you for joining us today, Nishal. Thanks a lot for having me on the podcast, Anna. We usually talk about India most when the government there is trying to crack down on crypto. And recently, a bill was introduced to the Indian parliament that would, quote, prohibit all private currencies in India, but allow for certain exceptions to promote the underlying technology of cryptocurrency and its uses. So there also were rumors that the country might start blocking IP addresses of crypto exchanges. You guys should know that India is the second largest country in the world by population, which is predominantly young. It's the largest online market in the world, which I didn't know before, by the way, and the country with the cheapest internet in the world. So no surprise, Indians are curious about crypto and active in this industry, even though right now India is not ranking among the top countries by crypto adoption. So Nishal, you founded Vazirax in 2018, is it right? Yeah, that's correct. And back then, the Central Bank of India prohibited banks from servicing crypto businesses. You were taking part in overturning that ban, which you succeeded in, I mean, the Indian crypto community. So recently, you and a bunch of other crypto firms in India, again, took an active role in forming that regulation and reached out to the government with some proposals regarding crypto regulation. So you've been talking to the Indian authorities uh, and like watching them dealing with crypto for a long time. Do you see how the Indian government's attitude towards crypto have been changing over these years? What have you noticed? Sure. I think, look, yeah, you were right. When we launched in 2018, uh, it was just three weeks after we launched that the uh, banking restrictions in India came in. And uh, we fought against it on the, in the Supreme Court of India. It took us about two, two and a half years. Uh, during these two and a half years, uh, the global crypto landscape also witnessed a bear run. And there were a lot of other issues in India around crypto. For example, in 2019, there was a draft crypto banning bill that was released in the public domain. This year, the bill that uh, was presented in the whole list of bills in the parliament in India was not called a banning bill. It was uh, called as the crypto regulation bill. So I, I see that as a step forward where uh, we've gone from having a draft ban bill in the country to today having a bill which does not talk about a ban, in, at least not in the name. It's a regulation bill. Uh, of course, the regulation hasn't come yet. There are some rumors. There are a lot of things. But amongst all of this, I see all of this as a step forward for crypto regulations in India. And I'll tell you why. Because in the last three years, not even before three years, let's say before three months, we did not even know what our government's position is, whether our government even wants to be involved in crypto discussions. So, you know, positive or negative, 
I see that as a step forward towards regulation. And I believe that's a good sign. The description of the bill at least mentions prohibiting the so-called private cryptocurrencies. But you don't think this will be the case, actually? You're right. The description says uh, banning of private cryptocurrencies. Now, uh, one of the questions is what exactly is the definition of a private cryptocurrency? Because if you think about Bitcoin, that's a public crypto with no, no private entity. So we've been trying to discuss with the government and trying to reach out to whoever is involved. And I recently had a discussion with uh, Mr. Subhash Chandagarh. He was the one heading the committee that built the draft pan bill. And what he said was that uh, by private cryptocurrency, they mean cryptocurrency that are trying to compete as a payment mechanism. For example, like, did he bring up any examples like what existing cryptocurrencies can be defined no. this way? No, so, uh, no examples. But uh, he did say that uh, cryptocurrencies that are assets or utilities, they are not the ones they are uh, worried about. They're more worried about any cryptocurrency that wants to be competing with our local uh, INR, which is our fiat currency in the country. So this could really be a bill that's, uh, even without saying it, might be targeted at a Libra-like proposal from Facebook, a type of cryptocurrency that tries to give people an alternative way to uh, process and, and pay online uh, with a currency that wouldn't be issued by a government. So like something that's really directly competing on the payment side of things. Probably. And uh, you know there are two ways to look at it. One is you could have a cryptocurrency which you could probably trade with and hold as an asset class and at the same time not use it as a payment instrument. So, you know, let's take the example of Bitcoin. If you wanted, you could use it as a payment mechanism, but you could also use it as a store of value. Okay, so it's more about the use cases, what people are using crypto for rather than just cryptocurrencies at large, right? Yeah, because in general, look, uh, the definition of cryptocurrency is not really straightforward. You know, it can come under an asset or a utility or a currency. So the question is, if a country focuses on the use cases, on what is allowed and what is not, I believe that would be way better than trying to ban an entire ecosystem or ban particular cryptocurrencies. Because you, you talk about a stable coin, but stable coins can be used in cases where people don't want to exit into fiat and just hold on to a more stable value for an in-between period of time. When they sell their Bitcoin, they move to stablecoin for an in-between period of time. There again, they're not using the stablecoin as a payment or a currency in the country. So, so if we look at definitions, it's going to be hard. But if we look at use cases, I think regulation will get far easier. And, and that's something that the authors of this bill that is now in the parliament told you, right? Yeah, uh, they, they did not name any cryptocurrency. They specifically said their focus is not to allow payment instruments in the, in, in the country, except for our fiat, which is INR. And is there any feeling in India that uh, among government officials that they might need to uh, do something to the INI to actually make it more digital friendly and perhaps uh, with a CBDC or something like that? Yeah. In, in fact, I think this, this uh, bill, it also has provisions to ensure that our central bank can get involved in the whole CBDC uh, creation. Because currently, I think the existing laws prevent the central bank from actually going ahead and creating a... I think there are some... I'm not really completely aware, but from what I know, one of the reasons why they wanted the bill uh, and where a part of the bill is all around CBDC is so that the central bank can get involved in creating a digital INR in the country. 
What do you make out of the rumors that the authorities might start blocking IP addresses of crypto exchanges? That, that piece of news was pretty wild. I, I would call them rumors. Like, like you said, uh, it's not from an official source. You know, most times you read articles and it says an unknown source is uh, talking about it. I just feel that there are some things being shot in the dark right now with uh, not a deep understanding of what cryptocurrencies are and how do you control that. So unless a government official really comes out and tells, I wouldn't really take these news completely. But do you understand why these scary rumors even appear? It might look like there is a part of the government that you are talking to and that is broadcasting some unclear vision of uh, crypto regulation. And may there be like conflicting perspectives inside of the government about crypto regulations? I look at all of this as uh, you know, the path towards a better regulation because uh, the fact that there are uh, parts of the government or there are sections who are looking at uh, what can be the bad outcome of this. And there are also parts of the government that are looking at how can we participate and bring innovation. And when these two thoughts, I think that's when you have the right kind of regulations in the country. I don't think uh, there's anything wrong with these things. It's just that ultimately we'll get the right regulation if we have a debate around what are the right ways to go about formulating the right policies in the country. And until then, we are going to hear all of these uh, positives and negatives. And do you think that after this legislation goes through, there might be an opportunity for the government to look more proactively at uh, regulating cryptocurrency? Because I mean, this is still wrapped up in a partial ban and it's not completely pro as pro innovation being its center point. So do you think that this could be a bridge for the government to uh, start to have a more mature point of view on crypto? Absolutely. Uh, but I think one very important thing to know is uh, just because this bill exists, it does not mean that the bill would uh, be cleared or even presented. Uh, like this session of parliament is uh, done in India. Now the next session is in monsoon, which is a few months later. But there's also a possibility that this bill might never come up for uh, discussion. There's another possibility that the bill might come up for discussion, but it might be passed on to what is called as a standing committee in the country, which is a separate committee, which then would deliberate on the bill and would invite uh, industry participation and debates around it. And the third possibility is, of course, the bill would be introduced, it would be passed, and there might be some negative uh, outcomes out of that. So we have all, the, all of these three possibilities open. And uh, as a community, what we are trying to do is trying to make sure that uh, at least industry participation is invited before any bill goes to becoming a law. Um, the reason being, all of this uh, bill that has been done, there has been no industry participation until now. So we've not had a direct representation before the bill was made or even now as this is ongoing. Do you feel like the, the stance of the regulators towards crypto have been changing through these years? Do you think their vision of crypto evolved to any degree over the past like three, five years? Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I'm seeing improvements uh, every year. For example, the discussion around uh, the various classification of crypto is something that I'm beginning to see in the last uh, maybe six to eight months. Before that, crypto was uh, considered to be a blanket, like a definition was that every cryptocurrency is a currency. But today you hear about, you know, cryptocurrencies are also classified as assets and utilities and securities. 
so i'm seeing a progressive um understand expansion of the understanding of crypto amongst uh, not just the regulators but also the general media the general public and if you look at it an all round understanding of cryptocurrency uh, throughout the nation is important we cannot expect the government to understand or the regulators or the public it has to be a collective effort i'm seeing that improvement coming in uh, right from 2017 when there was a large boom in the whole bitcoin narrative in india today where i think we have a larger audience of matured investors and participants who understand what cryptocurrencies are way better than as a nation what we did 3 years ago if we are talking not about the regulators and the politicians but about indians you know the general public do you see that there is more interest to crypto these days what indians are interested in doing with crypto with bitcoin absolutely i mean the interest has shot up the last 12 months for crypto in india has been crazy and uh, and it started with the the supreme court overturning the banking restriction in india that happened on the 4th of march 2020 and we saw a large number of people who were sitting on the sidelines waiting for this restriction to be removed they started uh, entering crypto and 2 to 3 weeks after that uh, india went into a lockdown due to the pandemic and that further increased the number of people in crypto in india because as soon as the country went into a lockdown uh, one of the things that happened is people started spending a lot of time online and uh, uh, this led to a lot of increase in the searches of cryptocurrency and bitcoin because when people are sitting at home with extra hours on their hand they're going to search for things they're curious about and uh, you know bitcoin and crypto just seems to be one of those things that uh, really uh, picks the interest of most people who hear that word and at that saw an exodus of massive user base entering crypto so in the last 12 months for example our uh, just take the example of bazirx we've seen a 3x increase in our uh, user base and we've seen about a 8x increase in our trading volume i attribute part of that to the uh, lockdown that happened in india which uh, gave a huge boost and then the second part where all the whole global uh, bitcoin prices going up that too added to it but it was a combination of the lockdown the supreme court overturning the restriction banking restrictions and the price rise of bitcoin okay so just kind of to to round up the, the policy discussion what do you expect from this upcoming crypto regulation in india uh, do, do you expect it to to be passed anytime soon and what shape it can ultimately take when it's ready i think it's still early days for regulation in india and uh, not just in india if you look at the global regulatory landscape everyone's still in the discussion stages and i believe in india that discussions have started but it's going to take a while before we really see any formal regulations coming in what we will see before that and as an industry what we are already doing is a, a self regulatory uh, code of conduct that we uh, all of us adopted together because instead of waiting for regulation we are taking a proactive approach of self regulating and at the same time also trying to work with the regulators in the country so that we can help them with all the necessary uh, knowledge to form the right kind of rules and regulations in the country i think it would at least take 2 to 3 years uh, for india to uh, get on the path of uh, regulating crypto but at least the discussions have started and i think that's a great move forward for the country okay fair enough well let's see what happens next uh, it's really interesting to watch 
in the meantime, we can switch to discussing some other topics and interesting stuff that happens last week. And here comes the ever-present Bitcoin mining environmental debate. The mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, wants the city to become a Bitcoin mining hub. And uh, when he was on another podcast by Laura Shen, he said that Miami should become a clean energy Bitcoin mining hub. What's interesting, Suarez believes that right now Bitcoin mining has a reputation problem because, quote, 90% of it's done in countries that have dirty energy. I certainly think that people should be investing in a greener energy future for Bitcoin mining. While I think that critics might overplay the impact of crypto mining relative to everything else that's going on, it's certainly not something that we should ignore, especially when so much in these leading countries is being fed by burning coal. I, I personally don't think that burning coal is a great trade-off to producing Bitcoin when, I mean, you have, first off, fossil fuel alternatives that are less polluting and plenty of green opportunities as well. So I'm really wondering how Miami wants to go about getting this done in a hot place where we've pointed out it's going to take more electricity to begin with. So they've got a couple of um, problems to solve here, but I'm certainly excited to see if they're able to do it. Miami is going to get even hotter. But you know, uh, let's, let's talk about another part of this mining environmental debate. Absolutely unexpectedly for me, it reached the NFT space, right? Oh, for sure. And in fact, for weeks now, environmentalists have been attacking NFTs as this extremely bad for the environment little arm of crypto. I mean, they're not wrong. There's a, quite a lot of uh, pollution and, and carbon emissions that come with NFTs, just like there is in Bitcoin mining. And for some of the same reasons, because uh, NFTs exist mostly on top of Ethereum, Anytime you or I purchase um, an NFT and uh, engage in a transaction, that's burning electricity. Um, I think about 30 kilograms of carbon is emitted per transaction, which is a crazy number. And this is really coming now at the marketplaces themselves. Nifty Gateway, which is uh, owned by Gemini, and it's one of the top five NFT marketplaces. Earlier this week, they announced that they were going to go carbon negative later this year by buying carbon offsets, which doesn't actually stop their carbon emissions, it just displaces them, and technology enhancements. And this is from a company whose transaction count is responsible for 13 million kilograms of CO2 emissions. I'm, I'm sorry, how exactly can you estimate that? I'm hardly a scientist and I really don't know much about crypto, but I think that the way that it works in this uh, situation is you basically uh, take the number of transactions that are happening on, a, on the network, and you're able to calculate that because with a blockchain such as Ethereum, everything is public. And you look at how much electricity went into each of those transactions. And then you just simply multiply the uh, number of transactions by the electrical and carbon output. And I believe that's how you would uh, come to this number. It, it's worth noting that that Nifty Gateway isn't calculating this themselves. They're actually turning to a GitHub project that's been released by a critic of Nifty Gateway to get this number. This is crazy. 
how do you know what kind of electricity was used to mint that NFT? You know, like how can you know about the carbon emissions? Probably good luck with making the industry greener. But I have so many questions. I wonder, Nishal, can you share some thoughts here? First of all, are you excited about NFTs? <laughs> Absolutely. I think uh, I look at the NFT space and I think uh, it's a direction for uh, or, or a reason for artists around the world to get involved in crypto. Because if you think about it, when you hear Bitcoin and uh, other cryptocurrencies, it attracts a lot of audiences, traders, technologists and everyone. But uh, there's this entire section of artists globally who probably weren't really excited because for them, passion is art. And here you have NFT, which combines art and uh, the ability to sell your art to anyone anywhere in the world. And, and I'm seeing a lot of Indian artists taking up the NFT uh, initiatives on their own because they now suddenly have a global audience in front of them uh, for the art they create. So I'm a large believer of NFT and I, I believe that uh, we are still in the initial phases. Uh, but this whole feeling of ownership, until now, we've not really experienced what true digital ownership is. We've always bought copies online of whatever we bought. And uh, NFT just changes the whole thing. So I'm a large believer of NFT. I would like to touch upon the whole uh, uh, Ethereum. I think Ethereum is right now on proof of work, but eventually they intend to move to proof of stake. And that's where the largest uh, cut in your uh, emissions and uh, everything around that will happen. And the other part was the whole, uh, if you look at the global average, I think about 20-22% of the renewable energies are used of the 100% energy consumption in the world. And the crypto industry in general has about 35 or 38% uh, renewable energy being used on an average. So the, the crypto industry is already ahead in terms of uh, clean energy usage. And I think this industry is going to go towards 100% clean energy eventually. This will probably be one of that first industry, simply because everyone's pointing their fingers towards uh, crypto, uh, you know, mining being the uh, energy guzzler. This is interesting. And these numbers, can you, can you just remind us where they come from, the proportion of energy sources? Yeah, I, I saw it on some article. I had even tweeted about it like a week back with the source. If you want, I can uh, send it across. There was some study that was done. I think in 2021 or 2020, uh, where they, they spoke about the consumption by the crypto industry. And uh, somewhere else, I looked at the global consumption and how much of that is used by renewables. So it's higher we... than the global average. Yeah, so this is what I mean. Like, you know, the, the miners don't use expensive fossil fuel energy. They, they try to use the cheapest energy they can get. And it's often the green, like, for example, hydropower energy. But, but by the way, if we are talking about this uh, particular case of Nifty Gateways, they, they want to reduce their carbon footprint by buying green credits. Is that right, Denny? Yeah, so they want to do uh, by basically carbon offsets. So they didn't fully announce uh, how exactly that would work, but they would probably go to a foundation that might be injecting carbon into the ground or doing something else to uh, lessen the impact and buy, I believe, double the amount, uh, credits worth double the amount of CO2 that they're putting out every month. But uh, on that topic of you know, pointing the finger at crypto, that's a sentiment that the, the twins who launched Nifty Gateway, the Cockfoster twins, that's their real last name, 
they are they were really uh, scathing in their press release about this. They didn't just say, "Look, we know that people say criticize crypto for environmental impact, and we're doing something about it." They said, "This is what we're doing." And by the way. We really hate the irony of people attacking crypto when all these other patrons of the arts are polluting the world, and we're not doing anything about it. And they said they literally blamed people flying to art shows far away and even driving their cars to museums as instances of individuals basically emitting carbon that the environmentalists never criticize. I think that's a little ridiculous to say that people driving to a An art museum is、um, a reason not to criticize cryptocurrency. So I did some back of the napkin math, and I estimated that going to my local art museum, driving there, would、uh, produce a, or be responsible for about four kilograms of CO2 emission. Meanwhile, if I were to buy a GIF of a gummy bear mugshot on Nifty Gateway, and that's a real、uh, NFT that is available for a thousand dollars, that would produce 31 kilograms of CO2. So while I do think that they're、uh, right in saying there's a a bit too much focus proportionally on NFTs, I think that their whataboutism might be jumping around a very real problem. What about using a public transportation, Danny, when you go to a local museum? By the way, I mean that would be even better. That would use even less and would make the purchase of a gummy bear mugshot GIF even more ridiculous. <laughs> Look, but, but this is what I mean. You know, like the reality is just so complex when you think about these environmental issues. I just wanted to note, you know, this carbon offset market itself is a very convoluted space, and there was a bunch of investigations that figured out then when countries were buying those, you know, green credits、uh, from countries that reportedly, you know, planted new forests. To restore the the global ecology, you know, the ozone layer, whatever, it, you know,、uh, the investigators would find out that the same companies that would sell these green credits, you know, would do some extremely ecologically bad business on the side. So the debate about mining and environment has a lot of questions to ask, and、um, the concept of buying. These、uh, carbon offsets also raises a lot of questions. So, a big field for hypocrisy here, I guess. Absolutely. More regulatory stuff, right? We have this week the head of Korea's central bank, and、uh, this is probably some other thing that Nishal can weigh in. So, the the head of Korea's central bank said last week that when countries in, will introduce central bank, bank digital currencies or CBDCs, the demand for existing cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin as means of payment will decrease. So, again, like you know, when you hear sometimes when decision makers and central bankers like that speak about crypto, you start thinking, are they even following what's happening in the cryptocurrency industry, right? Because Do we know a lot of people who want to spend crypto and pay for things with it? This is the scariest thing for central bankers in crypto, right? I think you know the way to look at these things is、uh, crypto fulfills a lot of these、uh, use cases that probably traditional fiat、uh, does not really、uh, cater to or can not really cater to. For example. International cross-border payments. Now, that's something that even if you have a central bank digital currency, that central bank digital currency can probably be used within the country, 
But if I want to make a payment to someone in some other part of the world, I need a common denominator which works everywhere. And that probably crypto can fulfill that. It does not exist today. Maybe we use the US dollar at times for international trade. But I'm sure most of the countries would want a neutral way for doing trade. And that's where crypto, maybe Bitcoin, or maybe something else will probably emerge. So instead of look, uh, I think everyone's looking at how does this encroach into each other. But I don't think cryptos are here to encroach upon what exists. They're here to solve problems that have uh, the, till now not been solved. And uh, 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 you know, even micro payments online, for example, it's prohibitively expensive for you to use existing payment gateways to make uh, really uh, micro payments possible. Um, but as soon as you have scalable blockchain solutions, you you you'll be able to make a very very small payment to maybe read uh, an article online, and I mean extremely small. Uh, so these things are really not possible today with traditional fiat or even CBDCs won't make it possible. But crypto can. That's a really positive place to uh, I think wrap things up for the week. Thank you guys so much for listening this week. Please subscribe to CoinDesk podcasts, especially the CoinDesk reports feed, which includes Borderless. And let us know if you've enjoyed the show. You've been listening to Borderless. I'm Danny Nelson. And I'm Anna Baidakova. See you all next week. You've been listening to Borderless, part of the CoinDesk Podcast Network. This episode featured Anna Badakova and Danny Nelson with an announcement by Lila Ledesma. Today's show is produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau with music by Cody Martin. Did you enjoy the show? We would love to hear what you think. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred service and talk to us directly via email at podcast at coindesk.com.